Excited for a road trip? Start it off right with auto coverage from American Family Insurance. J.D. Power ranked us number one in customer satisfaction with the auto insurance shopping experience among mid-size insurers. Get a quote at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. For J.D. Power 2021 award information, visit JDPower.com awards. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All Hit Radio Welcome to the X-Zone A place where fact is fiction And fiction is reality Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell Sweetest apple on the tree I've got the notion to tell you about my history and welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and uh, we're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Speaking about Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, the uh, song that I led into this segment is by another Hamiltonian, David Wilcox, called Bad Apple. If you'd like to uh, check out the programming we have available for you 24-7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. And we're coming to you around the world tonight on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and iHeartRadio. My guest this hour is Chris Cogswell. He received his Ph.D. in chemical engineering, focusing on the study of nanomaterials, for, or for use as catalysts and absorbents from Northeastern University. He has a bachelor's degree in chemical engineering and philosophy from the University of New Hampshire. He hosts a podcast on the history of philosophy of science and fringe science and is interested in how technologies and science are actually accepted by societies. Chris hopes to bring a seriousness and a strong research focus to this field, as well as look at the many questions posed by these phenomena from angles previously not focused on by UFO research communities. He currently resides in St. Paul, Minnesota with his wife, and the website to check Chris out and to listen to his podcast is themadscientistpodcast.com. And Chris Cogswell, welcome to the Exxon. Thanks very much for having me. Tell me, uh, from chemical engineering to the paranormal, what happened? How'd that happen? Well, you know, I, I blame it all on uh, a freshman philosophy class I took uh-huh. on on existentialism, actually. So I had a, uh, you know, I when I when I got into university, I was part of a kind of like a honors college sort of thing. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they made us take a course that was outside of our major uh, once every semester. And so the first semester I took this, uh, this course on existentialism. And I just, I absolutely fell in love with it. I, you know, I always knew that I enjoyed philosophy and I always, you know, the part of science that always interested me was the philosophy kind of stuff of science. And, uh, and anyways, from there, it just kind of, you know, a lifelong passion of the, uh, the paranormal and the kind of the fringe mm-hmm. and, uh, in UFOs in particular, you know, and, and it all came together when I was able to start really looking at this stuff through the lens of the philosophy of science and so for me, um, you know, chemical engineering is almost kind of my side thing. You know, it's my main job, but definitely my passion is in this realm. So, what is your take on on ufology? Why is ufology today so screwed up? So, I think that there is a lot of good out there still, even though I think that a lot of the big 
the bill, the big view that we get of it mm-hmm. is kind of of these, you know, very hard fringe, very, uh, very outside the realm of what I guess I would even consider to be, let's say, standard uh, UFO research. I think that in many ways there are good things in terms of, say, you know, public perception, public acceptance, and also just kind of the scientific community's acceptance. But in terms of what makes the UFO field, I think, so challenging at this point, but also so exciting, is that there is a lot of – there's so much interest. There is so much time being spent on these subjects, but there is no gatekeeper. There is no kind of centralized place or no area of peer review or you know critique that I would think is important in any field. And so because there hasn't been this critique, we've had – you know, basically hundreds of people, you know, hundreds of books published each year, countless radio shows and podcasts and TV shows and whatever. And everyone's interested in this stuff, but we're all giving our own pet theories. What we really need to do is start amassing this information and really looking at it with a, you know, going through it with a fine toothed comb with an eye towards, you know, uh, serious, uh, just logic, science, um, philosophy, right? All of these these academic disciplines that have existed and, and I think have a lot to do with the UFO field. And we need to be able to kind of put these ideas in the right place, put away ideas that aren't necessarily mm-hmm. going to move us forward, and also be able to to come out and say with with some, you know, with some backbone, I don't believe that that idea is true. I think there a big problem is we want to be open to everything. But, you know, if everything is evidence of of alien contact or if everything is a UFO, then, you know, nothing is right. You just you lose all the power of your evidence. You know, I've been doing the show for 28 years and over the 28 years, I've had over 5000 guests on, you know, and, and a fair number of these guests are UFO enthusiasts. And over the 28 years, I have not seen any change. Absolutely no change. <laughs> and you would think with the advent of the modern technology that we have today, somebody would have caught the smoking gun by now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the what's what I think is actually quite fascinating mm-hmm. is that even though we've had this, even though we've had this uh, technology, really, it hasn't become widely available to the public, I would say, until the last, say, 10 years, right? right? And on top of that, there is always a lag between when technology makes its way from, or or let let me rephrase this. Sure. I think that science, generally, we see this issue where the old guard kind of has a set way of thinking about things, a set way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And so, even with the very exciting things that are going on with, you know, young researchers in the lab finding new things, it might still take 20 years, 30 years before these young researchers' ideas are taken seriously. I think in many ways the same thing is true. I mean, the same thing is true in in any field, right? Um, You know, so I think with the UFO field in particular, we have been working with a set of tools that are frankly outdated, right? And so what I hope to do is bring in these newer tools, bring in excited scientists and excited researchers to finally put some of this new technology to good use, right? I mean, a a perfect example of this, I would say, is uh, the statistical analysis of UFO cases, right? Mm -hmm. So MUFON collects thousands of UFO sighting cases a year. And all of that data gets put into a larger database, but it's never really been probed for very high quality statistical analysis, right? So answering some basic questions that we hear about all the time, you know, UFOs appear near water. UFOs like hotspots. They, they like to be around mountains or, you know, nuclear facilities or whatever, right? Everyone seems to have their own favorite thing about where UFOs appear. All of that stuff is a question of data. It's not necessarily a question of opinion or anything else like that. So that's kind of where we're hoping to do is start with laser focus, really looking at these questions and starting to kind of trim away at this this idea, this concept to finally hopefully start moving forward towards, you know, truth for whatever that might end up meaning. I mean, who knows in a field like but this. Is it, but is it, is it possible that the, there's been too much damage done? The public image of ufology is, oh, they're a bunch of wingnuts. 
the media pays no attention to UFO reports anymore. Like it's, it seems as if it's a dead issue. And then you've got the same old, same old people out there flogging the same thing. Stanton Friedman, Travis Walton, and the list goes on and on and on. I think that one thing that's really great about the internet especially mm-hmm. and all of this new media that's coming out, right? So I started this journey with podcasts, right? That's kind of where I started all this stuff mm-hmm. that got me involved in MUFON in the first place. There are, you know, dozens of of high-quality podcasts on the UFO field, on new cases, on new ideas mm-hmm. that are coming out and more start every single day. The role or I think the thing that MUFON has not been able to do in the past that I hope we can start doing better is bringing in these new voices. Because, you know, you're completely right. I mean, how many times can we ask about Roswell? Exactly. Right? Before people stop, people, you know, turn off the TV, turn off the radio. So it's a – there are new ideas. There are new concepts that are coming out that are very interesting. It's just a matter of really putting that – into a into a way that you know the old guard can kind of accept it but also that we can put out a a strong face to the public to say you know this we i mean look i make no apologies for uh, or rather i i try to take no uh i'm under no illusions about the the status of the ufo field or how it's occurred over Mm -hmm. time right you know in my opinion there really has not been a very concerted serious uh, scientific analysis of the UFO field but outside of a couple of specific research. All right, stand right? by. So We've got to take a commercial break. Exo Nation, Chris Cogswell is our special guest this hour. His website is themadscientistpodcast.com, and uh, Chris and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. On the tree. I've got the notion to tell you about my history. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand worldwide and more does this sound like tomorrow's television well it is but you can have it today right now it is simul tv simul tv offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like Zone, sci-fi and horror we are worldwide no other provider offers that 500 built-in video games no need to have an extra expensive system we have them included free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. 
As this is the first book in the esoteric series, modern esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. And welcome back, everyone. My guest this hour is Chris Cogswell. His website is themadscientistpodcast.com. Chris, you know, we're talking about ufology, and it seems that there are no big cases anymore. That the big cases, the Kenneth Arnold case, the Roswell case, the Travis Walton abduction, Betty Barney Hill, these type of cases just don't exist anymore. How come? I think there's a couple of things that go into making a big case. I think that there is the um, – frankly, there's the drama of the case itself, mm-hmm. right? There's the uh, the reaction of the local community. There's you know national news getting involved. There's uh, the military getting involved, all of these things. That doesn't really happen that much anymore, right? I think f- for the most part, UFO cases are sort of – you know, um, it's they're interesting to the public, but I don't know necessarily that it's – it's given the same kind of uh, spooky kind of factor that it was in the past. On top of that, too, I think that the uh, just these cases that you're mentioning were pretty. Uh, these were fundamental to the field, right? They were kind of uh, they were kind of groundbreaking, and so there are ideas, there are concepts, there are cases sort of like that that I would point to. I mean, the Skinwalker Ranch uh, case would be one that I think is kind of foundational for a new way of thinking about UFOs. But, you know, for the most part, I would say that I think it's because, you know, um, if you do something, if you're the first person to do something, you're going to be the most famous for it, right? So, Well, you know, being a former police officer that worked with, with, uh, with crimin- uh, criminologists in, in Canada, the United States, and around the world, we used to share information to crack cases. We didn't hoard the information like the UFO community does. And I, I have never understood why... The community thinks that they need to hold all the information so close to their heart unless there's ego involved. And if there's ego involved, nothing will ever get accomplished. Yeah, I I agree with you 100%. Um, It's actually been one of my big, I guess uh, I would say my big pet peeves, Mm -hmm. I think, is that, you know, for a field that is uh, supposedly, you know, always worried about government involvement and military hiding secrets and whatever, we sure do keep a lot of secrets ourselves. Right. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of interesting that way. It is. Um, and, you know, like there I, I received a, a press release from uh, some radio or podcast that was going to uh, invade Area 51. Like, give your head a shake, you <laughs> bunch of morons. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe <sighs> invade the gas station nearest Area 51. But yeah, that's ridiculous. You know. So one thing that I am trying to be so, I would say that that is a that is something that we hear at MUFON a lot. That's something that I heard a lot when I first joined was people saying, you know, oh well, you know the the info comes in and then it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, that is I think uh, for in in many cases I think that is actually a very valid uh, a valid complaint. What we're trying to do now. But let me let me say that the reason that that is usually the case, or at least has been the case, is that you know MUFON is collecting data on on people, on individuals, sure. right? I That's mean, right. these are people that are coming to us with their cases. They are in many instances embarrassed or don't want to become known publicly, and so the question that's kind of tricky becomes: Well, how much information can you give to the public 
without it becoming clear who this person is. Right. So, I mean, you know, if if you're in a in a small town in, you know, the middle of America or something and I, you know, I say, OK, well, a sighting occurred at this zip code at this time. And, you know, the person is a steel worker or something, whatever, you know, there might only be. 300 steelworkers in that town that match that kind of general time and description, right? It's not going to be super difficult to find that person's info out. No, I, I understand that. But the data could be collected, stored, and, uh, and, and released in such a way that this information is only given to people who deserve to have it, not John Q. Public. Yes. And so that is actually something that we are. So MUFON has always been open to that, mm -hmm. but I think it hasn't ever really been easy because of the way that our database was stored. We are now uh, basically creating a tool that will let us export that data, you know, uh, basically cleaned up of any personally identifying information so that if you are a researcher interested in this field, we are happy to share the data with you. So, um, you know, that that should no longer be a concern, sure. I would say. Again, we we want to ensure that we are, you know, checking who is getting the data, that they're going to use it for a good reason and all of that kind of stuff. But ultimately, you know, we're MUFON is is providing a public service, or at least that's what I think we should be doing. So, you know, if you're a researcher and you want access to these cases, well, I don't see the harm in having, you know, I mean, instead of just one team doing this kind of work, why not have hundreds, right? That that seems like a much better way to have a vibrant uh, research community. Sure, it makes a lot of sense. You know, if you throw enough crap on the wall, some of it's going to stick. But yeah. but but um, but MUFON has been going through a lot of turmoil lately. You know, yes. and, and I think the public perception of MUFON, as well as other members within the paranormal community and UFO community are not looking at MUFON as that, you know, that uh, star in the sky when it comes to ufology. Like, I, I, can give you two, I can give you an example. One of the former directors, I don't know if he's still part of it, you know, was saying some rather crude racial uh, remarks. Yeah, that is, uh, that is something that can't be tolerated, right? I mean, that's, yeah, that's, yeah that was a, uh, a hugely disappointing thing, you know, just, I mean, when it occurred, but also... You know, um, it's still something that I think we need to be better at addressing, I would say. Mm -hmm. The thing – so obviously I think that there are these challenges and there are big issues that MUFON has to overcome. And I think that MUFON has lost a lot of public trust. And, and you know, forget public trust. I think has lost the trust of other researchers in many ways. Right. You know, I hope – that um, I hope that I can be some small part of rebuilding that trust. And also, you know, I think that with something, you know, what's, you know, the things have to go wrong before you can really make a radical change to turn them correct, right? To, to kind of steer the boat in the right direction, mm -hmm. I would say. And so I think that in many ways, this is sort of these, um, you know, as, as MUFON grows, as the UFO community becomes more, uh, becomes better at doing investigations on their own and also gets more um, just has larger memberships and, you know, larger kind of larger, I would say, analysis of it done even by the general public. I think that we're going to find issues like this that come up and I think that we need to address them as they come up correctly and, and quickly. Mm -hmm. But also I think that there has to be a what's the word? I think, though, that we can do a lot of good with this process of change. You know what I'm saying? I think that as these changes occur and as the methods get better, um, I think that we can start to gain that trust back. And frankly, I mean, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that it had had MUFON not had these negative things occur, you know, in the past, say, five years, 10 years. I'm not sure that they would be bringing on such uh, such young and well, relatively young anyways, but, you know, such new faces to the field with a lot of different ideas, such as, you know, frankly, such as myself. Is it possible MUFON's time has come and should be disbanded? I think that the challenge, so I don't think, I don't think that MUFON's time has come. I mean, if, I mean, if I did, that, I would be very, that would be very, a bad move for my resume. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> but 
I think that in I think that maybe MUFON has to change. I think that things have to change, right? So MUFON has for a very long time operated as a as a very loose organization, right? There is a central there is a central office and a central board of directors and teams that do this internal research and things. But for the most part, MUFON operates as a number of local chapters that get together, mm -hmm. right? So the um you know, the chapter for Virginia is a lot different than the chapter for Florida, than for New York, than for Ontario, than for, right? So all these chapters have their own flavor, have their own leadership, have their own ideas and agendas and things. And all these and, chapters pay their own fares. They pay everything out of their own pockets, plus their memberships. Yes. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And so it, the challenge, I think, or one of the things that we're trying to bring to MUFON is... Well, we first off have to start giving something back to these people who are being, you know, who have been with us for so yeah. long, right? We have to, as a centralized organization, do something that at least, you know, proves our worth as a centralized uh, organization at all. And also, I think we need to be better about ensuring the sort of, you know, I don't know if, if quality control is the right word, but almost we need to be better about directing this large ship into one direction. Yeah, th there seems to be a lot of loose ends with MUFON. And uh, you and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour, but we'll be back after the news. Exxon Nation, our guest this hour is Chris Cogswell. His website is themadscientistpodcast.com. And Chris and I will be back on the other side as we continue talking about UFOs and much more this hour here in the Exxon. Don't forget, you can always check out the X Chronicles newspaper with our compliments at www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. And don't forget the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV, 724-365, simultv.com. Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. The scientist and the mystic have been on an age-old, relentless search with one thing in common. They seek truth. Their paths converge in the 40,000-year-old practice of shamanism, an ancient science delving to the quantum level of life, facilitating healing, manifestation, and evolution. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, the founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Arts School, a unique Colorado State-certified occupational school, training shamanic practitioners and teachers. We also provide classes for empowering personal lives through shamanism. Our certification classes are in week-long segments, enabling international participation, and online classes and long-distance shamanic healing sessions are available. Come discover the science of magic in the limitless world of shamanism. www.findyourpathhome.com Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365.
Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and Chris Cogswell is my special guest this hour. His website is themadscientistpodcast.com. You know, we were talking about the oldies but goldies. Uh, you know, Stanton Friedman and, uh, let me see, Travis Walton. They're still doing the, the tours. Uh, let me, uh, you know, Betty Barney Hill. You know, even even former defense minister Paul Hellyer is now getting into the UFO swing of things because he can't get anything else to do. Uh, and, you know, he, here in Canada, the government has basically said, forget it. It's not worth us spending a dime down. If you have any, uh, if you have any UFO reports, just contact uh, Chris Rutowski at the University of Manitoba. So what does that tell you when the governments of a major country like Canada says, hey, listen, we, we don't have time, we don't have money, we don't even see the need for a department to, to, to get involved with UFOs. And then you've got Nick Pope, uh, who is on every show that I think uh, TLN is, has got going. And, you know, still, still nothing, nothing that, that, that even resembles credibility when it comes to the UFO field. And, and I can't understand where uh, Stanton Friedman, who's a nuclear physicist, I understand that, and I, you know, I appreciate and respect his, his, um, his degrees, but he's never seen a UFO. So this, I find this very all confusing. Well, so I have never seen, I mean, I've never seen an electron, mm-hmm. right? I still study them. I still use them for science. I still... Um, I still, you know, learned for 20 years about them, right, in some ways. I would argue that in many ways, though, this is part of the problem that we need to address in the UFO field is the reliance on this idea that the UFO concept has to boil down to, you know, us pulling, um, I don't know, a a ship out of the sky or a body out of a craft or something, right? There There is worth in the study of this phenomena outside of simple, um, you know, uh, aviation or space propulsion or, uh, military or whatever, even though those might be very fascinating for people. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, one question that comes up often that is very, very interesting in my mind is, you know, what are the, uh, what are the population dynamics of abductees or people who claim to have been abducted? Right. What is it that makes someone believe in UFOs, despite the fact that they've never seen one before, right? Are there any clear differences between observations of known objects? So for instance, you know, planes in the sky or uh, what have you versus these unknown objects, right? All of these questions are, are interesting and valid and none of them have really been touched by um, serious science. I mean, and another argument that I would make, I guess, to your first point is, you know, I mean, governments don't – governments have a very uh, a very focused view of what they believe to be useful for them to spend their money on. Or at least, you know, they probably should have a focused view <laughs> on what to spend their money on. Uh, you know, I mean, 
all academic research, I can't speak for Canada, but I know that this is true in the United States. All academic research is partially funded by the government, but also very highly funded um, through through grants that are given by the government so that the government does not have to spend its own money, quote unquote, right. to do this research. Right. So and, and again, I would argue that in many ways, the UFO field has never been. Uh, scientific has never really had serious science put its lens towards what these what these events are. Then, or what then these let ideas me ask, let me be. ask you let me ask you this simple question: Why not? I think because, frankly, um, so I th well this I mean that's that is the one million dollar question. Yeah. Right. I mean, you will have some some who would say that it's because you know vast conspiracies and whatever, and I don't buy in any oh, of that. Oh yeah, neither do I. Yeah, but. There is something to be said about this idea that, you know, um, well, it takes science a long time to get its boots in gear to change ideas. I mean, the founders, the, the fathers of quantum mechanics only really had any kind of success in bringing about that idea to the forefront in their 50s. Mm -hmm. Right. These were experiments and, and ideas that they had written about in papers during their during their theses. Right. When they were in their mid to late 20s. Um, it takes it takes science, it takes any bureaucracy a very long time to change. And so I think that that is also true. That is especially true of something that is a considered a fringe science. Right. I mean, in many let's take, for example, ghost hunting right now. This is a bad example. I don't think ghost hunting and the search for UFOs. I mean, they're similar in some ways, but I don't think, you know, there's a lot of whatever. There's a lot of weirdness there between the these two realms. But if you look at the realm of ghost hunting, mm -hmm. what has changed over time is that the way that we look for ghosts has gone from us looking for full-bodied apparitions that have voices and seem to have conscious will to today simply looking for heat signatures or electrons or disturbances in, in magnetic fields, right? That supernatural idea, that magical thought has reduced itself all the way from something truly outside the realm of the natural to being something easily measurable with a, you know, with a electron uh, or electromagnetic field, uh, yeah, but the, whatever device. But you've, you've got a lot of people who are using equipment who don't know what they're doing. You know, well, they, they, oh, absolutely. They go <laughs> online. They buy all this, uh, all this equipment. They call themselves Ghostbusters or investigators. They don't have a clue what it takes to do an investigation. They're right. hobbyists. They are just basic hobbyists. You know, they go online. They, you know, the whole thing. It reminds me the paranormal investigation in any aspect reminds me of the old. In the 70s, when everybody would put a CB radio in their car, they'd have all these crazy <laughs> handles. And then they would go down to a coffee shop, park beside each other, and talk to each other on the radio. <laughs> right. Just because you have the – just because you have a CB radio does not make you a radio engineer. Exactly. Right? <laughs> well, I, and I would argue the same thing is true of the UFO field. I mean just because you uh, – just because you have a Geiger counter and a pair of binoculars and a notebook doesn't mean that you are going to be doing this investigation in an interesting way. Mm -hmm. And I mean – or in a, in a scientifically valid way. And so I think part of the challenge for MUFON as an organization is ensuring that our uh, – the data that we do collect is collected in the best way possible but then also analyzed scientifically. But also I would say that there – you know, the move towards this being a more serious investigation has in some ways started in uh, in these interesting ways with, you know, the To the Stars Academy um, or, you know, Bigelow Aerospace or these other uh, – I mean, really, those are the big ones, right? But then we also have uh, Luis Elizondo's program that was going through the United States government. Mm -hmm. There are, you know, the, the thing with this that's so interesting is we always get these little tantalizing hints that we're just on the cusp of something big. But for me, I think that the way, the way that we put this to academic researchers, the way we put this to the scientific community is, well, we've been looking at this completely with a with a small – you know, a set of blinders on. We've been looking at one small spot of this bigger problem. What kind of interesting anthropological data can we get from this idea of UFO contact? What sort of interesting concepts can we get through 
you know, the arts, you know, just simple science fiction writing, what kind of interesting historical trends or, you know, sociological trends or philosophical concepts can we get out of the study of these areas of fringe science? I think there's a lot of very, uh, very interesting and also I think very fruitful, honest, serious research that can be done in this field that has nothing to do or very little to do with the reality of you know, craft in the sky. You know, I, I agree with you. It is very interesting. But what happens at the end of the day? All this hard work is for nothing because there are no UFOs. The way that I look at this is sort of the way that I think a lot of my fellow colleagues that I've talked to about this kind of look at these interesting things, which is there. there has never been a, uh, there's never been a Starship Enterprise, right? Star Trek didn't really occur. That was never a real or a reality in any way. But there have been more scientists who started their careers because of Star Trek and Star Wars and the X-Files and all these other shows mm -hmm. because it, it, it bred in them a excitement, a fire for investigation and the unknown in the sciences. So I would say that if, if the study of UFOs can at least get people interested in science. And so then we can potentially use it as a way to teach scientific thinking and the history of science and the philosophy of science by talking about these kind of fringe concepts, then it isn't uh, all this hard work for nothing. It is all this hard work, you know, having fun and investigating something very interesting while doing a public service. But Even how can, if that how public can, service isn't to find the reality of you. But how can you take it seriously and have fun at the same time? I mean, I think that if you... I, I mean, I would argue that you should always be having fun, right? Or <laughs> you should always at least be having something of a good time. I mean, not and maybe a good time is the wrong word. I think that we can make this exciting for the public but also still do good research. Maybe but that's a better way of saying it. Don't you I think the public has fun. enough on their plate already, just everyday living without having to get involved in chasing UFOs, greys, cattle that are disappearing, and people that are being zipped up, alien abductions, and, and some of your very own researchers and reporters, I'm sorry, investigators, are saying that there are 300-mile-wide UFOs circling the Earth. I think... You know, there's a lot to be discussed yet before the public takes this seriously. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. 
For decades, there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings. Slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From Out of the Woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www.williamspeckham.com. Well, I just got back from Roswell, where the aliens have been. And if you ask the feds the cause, well, they'll only lie again. Now I'm hunted by the gumshoes, and I'm wanted by the cops, cause they think that I might be the guy making circles in the crops. And I know that there's a conspiracy from the voices in my head. Elvis lives, that's clear to me It's McCartney who is dead And if the Mars men should come again And take me, I will go I will take a trip on their rocket ship God bless the UFO Give JFK this message It's the Cuban army's fault and I know that Dave Koresh is alive inside a vault. We've seen reports in papers of a guy who knows about a car that runs on chewing gum, but the Arabs rubbed him out. <laughs> and we loudly warn that America is badly unprepared. With the Cold War through, we need something new that can get you good and scared. You wonder just who warning you of conspiracies today. We're the ones who fill the rumor mill. We are the CIA. All right, there you go. Uh, Chris Cogswell is our special guest this hour. www.themadscientistpodcast.com Chris, something that strikes me very confusing with all the abilities of different governments to hack every other government and then WikiLeaks to hack in everybody's government, would it not be up would it not be advantageous for an unfriendly government of the USA to dig into a data bank, a government data bank, and find the truth about UFOs? And if they do exist, expose that fact to the public. And that, at that time, that would totally discredit the, the government. And why, I'm not, why hasn't anything like that happened? I, well, so first off, I'm not sure that they need the release of, of UFO information to discredit the United States government um, at the moment. <laughs> but, um, or just generally, I think there's been enough uh, enough problems with the U.S. government that there's, you know, all kinds of questions and whatever. Um, you know, if you look at public polling about confidence in the United States government, it's it's already comically low, right? Yeah, so now, I don't now know you... if there's much more that they could do in terms of – but I get, I get the point yeah. of what you're saying. Frankly, I don't think the U.S. government knows much more about UFOs than the public does. I agree. Um, you know, I, I think that – I think that uh, as the the song in the in this cut here so eloquently put it, I think that, you know there's um, I think that there is a lot of a lot more 
there's a lot more real human evil that occurs with this kind of stuff that, mm-hmm. you know, we don't need aliens as, as uh, a boogeyman or something. Right. I think there's enough real, if there's enough real issues that the government's worrying about yeah. generally that I, I doubt very much that they spend any more time than they potentially did during the cold war or, or you know, right after world war two or something in terms of, uh, in terms of, so that's, I think why that's, that hasn't okay. happened is I think that there probably isn't anything really there for them to hack into. Now, in terms of, you know, in terms of, um, in terms of what I think I, or, let me say, so I don't think, I don't believe in any of this large conspiracy stuff generally. Yeah. I would say that it is likely that the government just like is, is true with, I would say, uh, most of the history of public research into this kind of fringe stuff. Um, we've kind of been doing it in a, in an ineffective way, um, at worst or at best rather. And at worst, we've, we've actively gone against ourselves by infighting. So, uh, so yeah, I would say that it's, it's probably cause that evidence isn't there within the government. So what do you think should be done when it comes to going forward in ufology? I think that we need to start, frankly, we, we need to stop being afraid to say that is a ridiculous idea. We need to stop being afraid of critiquing ourselves and critiquing other people in the field and pulling apart their theories and getting rid of bad theories, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if if science operated the way that ufology has operated, you know, we'd still be talking about, you know, phlogiston and, uh, you know, cutting off, uh, cutting off the legs of whatever, cutting off the legs of people to see if their kids grow with one leg, right? I mean, we'd be doing all these ridiculous old, old theory things. Um, you know, so I would say that we really have to start, we, we have to start being our own harshest critics because when someone comes out and says something ridiculous, it is used against all of us who are trying to do legitimate work. And I mean, you know, and I think too, there is a very real human element to this. I mean, you know, it's easy to talk about, oh, you know, reptiles and governments and whatever, right? Like it's easy to talk about that stuff and make fun of it. It's much harder to discount the story of someone who's, you know, telling you that they legitimately believe they've been, um, they've been taken and, and attacked or, or harmed in some way. Right. I mean, regardless of the truth of, of alien contact, Something is compelling these people to come forward and getting to the bottom of that and treating them with dignity and respect, I think, is worthy of um, worthy of everyone's concern, regardless of, again, if you think UFOs are real or not. But how many of these people who come forward with these ridiculous statements, including David Icke and his reptilian theory, you know, do it for no other reason than to get listeners, to get likes, and to get publicity, and to get invited to all the different uh, exhibitions and seminars. Well, and that's that's the problem, is that they're getting, you know, bad behavior keeps working for them, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, every time some, some fool says that they've been to Mars or something, we give them a talk show, right? We, we give them, you know, we yeah. give them a book deal. We need to stop, we need to stop, and again, be our own harshest critics, and stop inviting these ideas in stop talking about these discredited theories you know i mean i'll give you an example my um, one of the one of the first uh, kind of you know expos the first one of these events that i went to mm-hmm. i saw a talk on a on a subject involving archaeology that has been handily discredited over and over again every time it rears its ugly head it is discredited right. and yet a new person was writing a new book on it and giving a talk on it you know, we have a responsibility as the central location for this information that people come to to get this information mm-hmm. to protect our members from con men and snake oil salesmen and all that stuff. And we also have a responsibility, I think, if we really want to get to the bottom of this, to start putting out the best information available. How are the old guard going to take this new concept? You know, it's funny. I think that for the most part, 
so everyone that I've talked to about this this notion or these these ideas have been positive. Mm-hmm. They have just been, you know, okay, we'll be cautious, right? Just just, you know, don't bite off more than you can chew, don't get burnt out, all that stuff. I would say that um you know, frankly, if the the proof as as one of my favorite professors would always say, the proof is in the pudding, right? If they want to come and show their data, show their evidence, and try to convince people that their evidence is better than our evidence, then awesome. That's great. That is exactly what a scientific process should do. But if your evidence is simply hearsay or your evidence is you know, a cockamamie story about something that can't be proven or verified in any way, then it is just that. It is just a story, right? And so again um, – the truth doesn't care what you think about it. The truth doesn't care how you feel. It is the truth regardless. So we need to start being a bastion for the truth as opposed to a bastion for everyone to come give their fanciful stories. I appreciate what you're saying, but when you've got a lot of the old guard who who are embedded in the old mentality that if the the if things change too much, and they're discredited, then they're going to look pretty damn stupid. Let's let me. Well, okay. First off, not to ruffle too many feathers, I think that a lot of the people that will be discredited already look kind of stupid. I agree. Right? I mean, it's like it's too late. That's that ship is safe. But, but it it is for young folk and for the new people that are coming into ufology, but to the older crowd, the generation that started ufology in the 70s and 80s, you know, who started because of the X-Files, because of Star Trek, yeah. you know, uh, who did not follow the scientific route to becoming scientists and, and, and archaeologists and, and all the people who are now contributing thanks to the, uh, the shows that were on TV. They're going to be crushed. Well, you know what? I mean, I always like to point to the book by uh, Thomas Kuhn uh, on scientific revolutions, mm-hmm. right? He talks about how the structure of scientific revolutions. He talks about how the old guard always, regardless of the field, all that stuff, the, the old guard always has a moment of you know, resistance. There's always a, a resistance moment before the big change occurs. And then it happens and the, this field can move forward. Right. Hey, listen, I, I, I hate to do this, but we've run out of time. I'd love to have you come back on the show, uh, Chris. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. Continued success. And uh, looking forward to hearing more about you over the years to come. Take care of yourself, Chris. Thanks very much. Right. Chris uh, Cogswell has been our guest, Exo Nation, the Mad ScientistPodcast.com. I'll be back after this news break. Don't go away. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. 
We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.